Welcome to Your Career Podcast, the podcast that helps to ensure your career success. To start getting on track with your career, download my free career goals calendar from thecareersacademy.online. My goals calendar includes a smart goals template and a weekly tasks sheet that will ensure step-by-step you get closer to reaching your career goals. So download my goals calendar today at thecareersacademy.online. Now on with the show. As Waska Wilde put it, be yourself, everyone else is taken. Or Brené Brown put it, let go of who you think you should be, embrace who you are. You know, I really believe that, is that I find that even if people can work it out, they still second guess themselves and go, yeah, but that might not be as successful. I should be more like this person. I should be more like that person. Or they look up their organisation and see very different leaders to them and say, oh, they lead completely different to me. I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, and I, I would say just hold in there. If you work out who you are, then you can be that leader you want to be. Welcome to Jane Jackson Careers, a podcast that takes your career to the next level. Here's your host, Jane Jackson, author of Amazon Careers bestseller, Navigating Career Crossroads. Welcome back to My Careers Podcast, where I interview fascinating professionals who have made amazing career changes. Now, today I'm delighted to be speaking with Jill McLaren, the CEO and founder of Syntegrate. She's author of Think, Plan, Live, Define and Design Your Best Life in Six Simple Steps, and is the co-founder of Team Women Australia. Jill is an executive leader, innovator, speaker, and opinion leader on the topics of authentic leadership, women in leadership, and shared value creation. Now, I had the pleasure of being Jill's coach during her transition from corporate to entrepreneurship. We met back in January 2016, and from there we had such a fun journey for 12 months, exploring her desire to transition into coaching, crafting a LinkedIn profile to reflect her personal brand, unpacking her why, and building on her desire to help others create their best life. Fast forward 18 months to June 2017, and she has just launched her fabulous new book, Think, Plan, Live. Now, before we start our interview, let me tell you a little bit about Jill's business. As the CEO of Syntegrate, Jill solves problems worth solving and that make a difference. Her unique approach was created by adapting strategic planning approaches from the business world and applying them to problems worth solving in the three areas of life design, leadership, and shared value. Jill's approach to life design is captured in her book, Think, Plan, Live, which is a step-by-step guide and workbook that helps people define and design their best life through the discovery of their unique life fingerprint. And now, let's find out about her career journey. And let's welcome Jill McLaren to the show. Welcome, Jill. Good morning, Jane. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, especially because last night was the big night. Oh, it was fantastic. And thank you for coming. Yeah, it was a really special night, something special when you've written a book to actually launch the thing. So yes. it was great. Yes, and all the speeches and you, I got to do the selfie with you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which was so much fun doing a video selfie. Okay, so let's get to business. How about to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about your 
early career aspirations when you were a young girl, and then we'll go through your career journey a bit and then how you made that big transition into entrepreneurship. We can. Uh, I mean, in terms of my journey, I'm someone who, who, when I was younger, really didn't know what I wanted to do. So um, I think I've kind of captured some of that in the book. What I've come to realize later um, is that I was something quite different than what I thought. But back, back then as, as a school kid, um, I wasn't exactly sure. So what I ended up doing at that time was kind of doing geography at, at university with no idea of where that was going to, going to lead. Um, and then ended up kind of doing a graduate scheme into the corporate world um, because I realized that I really enjoyed uh, marketing and also sales because uh, that was kind of about meeting people. So the bit I did know, and it's been a thread throughout my whole kind of career, is um, anything that involves working with people um, is what I love doing. So uh, in terms of my career journey, uh, a bit of background on me, 30 years in the corporate world. So I started that career uh, back in McVitie's in the UK in a graduate scheme and then followed that into Coca-Cola where I was for 20 years. Um, and my career has really been a blend of trying things. So I think what would characterize my career is a lot of breadth. Um, so I've done work with customers and commercial and marketing and strategy. And I was someone who just liked learning new things. So never had that clear path. So I know some people have that very clear vision about where they're going to be. Um, I didn't have that. I was just curious and wanted to learn about business and therefore tried lots of different things. Mm. Um, and that kind of career meandered around from the UK to Australia and then to Malaysia. So, so I think one thing for people looking at careers, sometimes you feel like you have to have this big master plan. I honestly didn't have one. I just chose roles that I thought would I would learn things um, and then would actually bring out the best in me. Mm. Actually, interesting, you should say McVitie's because McVitie's is part of United Biscuits and exactly. Donkeys and you years ago. I worked, I worked there <laughs> in did. London in the 1980s. Oh, gosh, it seems like such a long time ago. And then that, that's when you joined Coca-Cola. And so your Coca-Cola career journey sounds really fascinating because it's taken you from Europe to Malaysia and Sydney. Tell us a little bit about those transitions. Yeah, so 20 years of that was with Coca-Cola. So I joined uh, Coca-Cola back in the UK and, and managing big customers. So Tesco back in the UK, and that was my role really, managing the big customers. Uh, but then I realized I had a love, a greater love of strategy. So I ended up moving across to a different part of the, the Coca-Cola business, which is the Coca-Cola company, um, and actually doing a, a strategy role and an insights role. So leading all of the strategy work for, for Europe. Uh, I'm really working in that area with insights and a lot of research work, which, which actually I've realized, again, is a big passion of mine. So uh, what I've come to learn later is kind of like, I just love problem solving and trying to work out, you know, meaty strategic challenges. So strategy work back there, uh, but then really realizing I love the commercial space. So moved from the UK uh, to Australia uh, to do a role as uh, head of commercial and franchise here in Australia. And then after that, um, because I'd kind of done other work, work in between on the breadth, was um, be the general manager for Singapore and Malaysia. So that was an interesting kind of transition to, to be general management, the whole thing in a, in a completely different country and cultural environment. Um, so that was kind of the journey there. But in parallel, I was actually, for the last 10 years, with the Women's Leadership Council for Coca-Cola as well. So um, there aren't as many women leaders in our business, and we had a goal of getting to 50-50 uh, male and female leadership in the business. So... That was actually a pivotal part. wasn't cool to my role, but being part of 19 women from around the world who would kind of meet and then work out, you know, how do we change the gender dynamics within, within our business was a really, really interesting journey and incredibly rewarding. Um, and through that, I realized that 
uh, women may lead differently and some of the challenges that women face in terms of juggling careers. So that was a pivotal part. So as well as my, you know, career journey as in the role I was doing, um, I felt a real passion for, for women in leadership as well about how do women lead being authentically them, uh, which is actually quite a different leadership style. So enabling people to really voice what that looked like and, and actually show up in a different way. Yeah, you've been exposed to so many different cultures. And so you, going from Europe to Australia and then into Asia as well, that you've got this really solid understanding of how to really communicate effectively across cultures. So it's not just, you know, women in leadership versus men in leadership. It's also how to lead in a culturally sensitive way too. What are your thoughts on how things are different in Europe versus Australia versus Asia? I think the dynamics shift, cultural dynamics definitely shift between each of those markets. The UK and Australia are more similar. Even then, Australia is a very upfront place. So, I mean, you pretty much say <laughs> what you think in Australia, from a, mm. even in the work norms. So a much flatter structure, um, people in the organisations, regardless of, of kind of seniority do expect to be able to voice their opinion in the right way, but everyone gets heard. Um, in the UK, I still think it's slightly more um, status oriented in that regard. Um, and then again, going into Asia, quite different. So, you know, the expectation is that the senior leader does have all the answers and there's a high degree of uh, respect and reverence to that within the broader organization. Um, and that was interesting. One thing I did shift actually, even working in Asia, that was kind of a, an existing norm, and I had to be very cognizant of that, give clear direction. Uh, but, but certainly working within Malaysia, I found an incredibly talented team of local um, people there who, who really did have amazing opinions and hadn't actually necessarily had those heard because they felt that they were too low down the pecking order. Um, so that was a real shift that, although you have to be respectful of cultural norms, is at times you can actually shift them. Um, and then after I kind of, at the end of that time, people saying how much they felt heard and uh, bringing out the best of them in a team uh, was probably one of the things I'm most proud of is the, yes, living with those norms, but also how do you shift some of them to, to enable people to, to really, as I say, bring out the best of them in teams. I mean, that's a big passion of mine, um, what I would call inclusive leadership. So I am passionate about diversity in the, the gender sense. But from that journey, I really realized that, it's got a much broader definition. So, you know, people, true diversity is different perspectives and thinking, different cultures, different age, uh, yes, gender. Um, that melting pot is what makes amazing teams. So that, that was a real passion point. It's like if you only could bring out the best of every individual and then that, what they can contribute to the team, that's really powerful. Uh, but it is, it's not always easy, though, because those cultural dynamics are quite complex to navigate. Uh, so you do need a pretty high IQ to kind of navigate some of those things. And, and sometimes Western leadership does does actually butt up against Asian leadership um, as mm. well. So that was interesting. Yeah, I think I think IQ and the EQ as well, especially when you're, you're leading across cultures. But I think you're so right. It, the most important thing is that people must have a voice, regardless of what level they're in in an organization. If they know that they're being heard and they're ma they matter and their existence is is validated um, you know, continually, I think that that's what's most empowering for individuals too. So I think your cross cultural understanding is certainly must have helped so many people across Asia where so so often people just don't speak up because there, there is that more of a hierarchical way of leading. 
Yeah, and sometimes there's a misconception that they don't speak up because they don't mm. have an opinion. Mm. I never found that. They mm. really do have a, a deeply held opinion. Um, but the way you bring it out in them is different. Mm. Um, so, you know, in a Western culture, you might, I don't know, do a brainstorm about that and everyone would get their opinion out. And that would what we do if, if kind of status didn't matter, if that makes sense, that so people could go in a room and do that. In, in the case of Asia, it's very open and again, I was working in Malaysia, very open questioning of specific individuals and letting them kind of outline that. So you do it in a different way um, and you can actually spot what people are really good at. And, mm. and as I say, it does shift. People are happy to give that opinion, but they do need to be asked. So the difference is probably how to contrast it. You don't need to ask in Australia. People are going to tell you uh, whether you ask or not. Um, in the case of certainly working in Malaysia, being respectful and actually asking them, what do you think? Because you're actually giving them the license to, okay, the leader has asked me and therefore I will say. So it might sound like a nuance, but um, they do need to be asked. And, um, but when you do, you get, you get amazing insight about what they think should, be, should happen in the business. Yeah, I, I find that whole cultural difference and the way you can lead across cultures so interesting. Because you, you know, I'm from Hong Kong, and then spent a lot of time in Singapore as well, and in in Europe before coming to Sydney. And there are massive, massive differences. Now, Jill, what about women in leadership? Now, we're, we're both mums, and we both have two girls, which is wonderful. And, yes, and certainly, <laughs> and certainly juggling juggling motherhood and career and all of the the multiple pulls in different directions can be quite a challenge and so what do you think when it comes to being a woman in leadership what would be the key things to consider um, in order to be successful so that you do have a well-balanced and harmonious lifestyle between work and and personal life I think for me I mean authenticity is probably an overused word, but it it kind of is relevant in this regard because I think it's whatever is authentically you. Um, I think the biggest downfall I see in people is trying to carry on in business like you did when you didn't have children. I certainly did that to start with, you know, so having twin girls as I did and having a full-on career at the time, you know, it wasn't the norm at that time. So I try to carry on as if, don't worry, I've not got kids at all. You know, it's kind of going to carry on as normal, still working ridiculous hours. And it honestly, it results in complete burnout. And you feel like you're doing a really poor job as at work and also actually as being a mum. So, so one thing that really struck me is I had to get a hold of that pretty quickly and try and work out, you know, how does my work life look different now? Um, and that is setting some boundaries about time or whether you want to be home for dinner or, you know, all those, they might sound simple things, but setting boundaries on that. Um, and then what I call integrating it. So I don't believe in work-life balance. I kind of believe in integrating the whole thing where you kind of go, right, this is my job spec as a mum. You know, these are all the things I want to be known of as a mum. And, and, and the only arbiter of whether that's good or not is my kids. And then there's all the things I still want to achieve at work. Um, and that's also on the list as well. But I don't, some people find it hard. They compartmentalize. It's like, well, I'm either fully on at work or I'm fully on at home. For me, I try and integrate those two things with that almost like a combined job description for being a mum and being successful in business because both are important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people make the choice they want to give up work to, to be a mum. And I totally respect that. In my case, I knew I needed you know, the mental stimulation and I knew I needed to kind of 
achieve what I wanted to at work. But I absolutely knew I would not do that to the detriment of being a great mum. So I did, if I did all of that, and then at the end of it, I felt like I'd messed up my kids and they'd had a miserable life as me as a working mum, I would have felt terrible, you know. So, so regular check-ins with them, even now, um, you know, I'm checking in about how we doing, you know, <laughs> am I giving the right time? And they, they tell you what's important as well. So I think the other thing is people assume what's important for their kids. Mm. They'll give you a list of things that are really important to them that they really want you to do. Like in my case, like parent teacher, you know, really important, um, home for dinner. Cause we all have cooking together. So let's be home for dinner and cook dinner together. Okay. Some of the other things weren't as important that we beat ourselves up on. So there's some very simple things, but I think the, uh, the summary is planet, you know, mm. as in what, what do I want that job spec of a mother and a job spec of my career to look like, and then truly navigate towards that. Sounds like, I mean, it, you've, you've got the balance right, Jill. I think that sounds amazing because so, so many people that I, when I'm coaching as well, they, they have this uh, mother guilt thing where it's like, am I being a good mother? Am I being a good um, corporate citizen? Um, if I decide to spend time just looking after the children, am I doing myself a disservice by not remaining at work? And really, it's a personal choice, isn't it? And, and not, and it's so important not to feel guilty, whatever your choices are, um, because you're the only person who knows what's right for you and your family. And what Absolutely. And, an, and another simple tip with that is what I talk about is going from, um, going from a task model to an outcome model. So a mm. task model is, you know, here's all the things I could do. This is my long list of things. Um, and then an outcome model is, you know, at the end, I want, in my case, well-rounded daughters who, you know, who are happy in what they do and feel like we've got a great family life. That's an outcome. Now there's many methods to get there in work. You know, I wanted to get to ultimately to that general management level uh, and lead a team in my authentic way uh, through collaboration, for example. So those were two outcomes I had. And therefore I could navigate that whole range of different ways. Whereas often people I find focus on the tasks. So I have a very long task list, but it doesn't really navigate you know, you don't keep that line of sight on what outcome you want to get. So you can actually clutter your life with a whole load of things, quite frankly, that aren't as important. Um, whereas if you just set that, what I call your North Star of an outcome, say, look, I'm just trying to get there. And therefore, as long as I can navigate that, um, and that goes for how people juggle. So this guilt thing, Jane, I totally agree with you on that. You know, people feel guilty. Um, but if, they, if they've agreed an outcome with their boss that they're going to get something done and then they need to leave early for something or they need to juggle something else, if that boss is aligned on that outcome, then you actually won't get grief on that. Whereas people assume, oh, I feel really bad, I'm leaving and, um, you know, I should have been still in the office because everyone else was there. It doesn't matter as long as you get the outcome. Mm. Um, and you, so, you know, yeah. one of the things I think is so important is people need to leverage technology so much more because um, – if you're able to work remotely as well, you can still get the job done. And these days, you know, when, when it comes to, as, as we're doing today, we're having a Zoom uh, podcast interview. Zoom works so well. You can have your video conferencing. So physically being in the office and clicking in and, and clicking out at certain times, that's not a, a necessity anymore uh, in the workplace. And, and you're absolutely right. As long as the job gets done, you get that outcome, then it's a win-win, isn't it? Absolutely. But I don't think the guilt goes away. I mean, I have to confess, it's not like you can switch that, <laughs> that valve off. You know, it's, it's a burden um, women have it's, to bear. It's a, it's a <laughs> nagging thing on your shoulder kind of go, are you sure you're doing the right thing? So, yeah, I can't claim that it's um, some perfect ideal of that. But at least if you have that in your mind that, you know, and who's, who's the arbiter of whether this is good or not? I decided very early on. 
the only arbiter of whether I'm a good mum or not is my daughter's. Um, you know, other people might have an opinion about, oh, she's got such a big job. I think she's probably should be at home with her kids. I've even had that said to me. Mm. Um, and then other people might think something else. So, so actually deciding who is the arbiter of whether this is working or not. Um, so that's you personally, whoever you care about that would have an opinion on it is, is a key one because otherwise you've got the burden of everyone's opinion on you, which is a bit overwhelming. So. Mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a really, really good balance. Well, I don't like to say balance so much. It's more like just harmony. Harmony goes along really well because you've got your work, you've got your family, your girls have grown up. They're just beautiful young ladies. I met them for the first time yesterday. I'm so impressed, Jill. So impressed. <laughs> they are gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. And so now let's talk a little bit about our journey because 18 months ago I met you when you were going through your transition and I mean that was such a pleasure because it's first of all here's here's this power woman Jill Jill McLaren <laughs> coming in and I love I love meeting you and you were exploring entrepreneurship at that stage and I remember we were talking about you know business names and branding on LinkedIn and talking about the key person of influence program, the brand accelerator and getting websites sorted. So it's a really, really interesting journey that you've been on. Tell me a little bit about your journey and those aha moments that you had when you thought, ah, this is what I'm going to do. The women in leadership, the executive coaching, etc. So I think probably I need to rewind a little bit before mm. that kind of happened to kind of go, well, how did I get from like busy corporate career to, to ending up setting up my own business? Mm. Uh, and in my case, I was actually really happy in my corporate role. So I know there's many unhappy corporate <laughs> quitters or leavers <laughs> or ton of reframers. I'm, I wasn't actually. I was actually really enjoying my role. Mm. Um, but back to the um, integration of what you really are, um, I did start to become more aware um, from my own kind of journey mm. on what was optimal for me what did I really want to spend my time doing um and I kind of rewind on that is um this this piece I've ended up focusing on which is best life design or life mm. design um and that was born out of my own journey I suppose mm. the last 10 years with Coca-Cola where I was both doing you know bigger bigger jobs but also doing this work with the Women in Leadership Council um, I was sitting in the audience of a panel and someone in the, in the panel, again, asked that work-life balance question, said, oh, I don't believe in it. You know, I don't believe work-life balance exists. I believe in uh, living your best life. Uh, and I went, oh, wow, what, that's an interesting concept, living your best life. What's that mm. all about? And I went up to her at the break and said, oh, what is it? Um, and she said, well, no, it's just you working out what, what your best life looks like. Um, and you can navigate that yourself. And I, honestly, at that time, I thought, oh, there must be more to it than that. There must be a way to work that thing out um, because I'm, again, a big strategy person and problem solver. I get, there must be a method to working out what your best life is. <laughs> um, so I suppose I embarked on that journey for me because I was trying to navigate, you know, being a great mom and also having a great career. Um, and I ended up kind of working out what inspired me and also what gave me energy and what my strengths were and my values, but also what I wasn't so good at. Uh, and I actually went on that, that journey for, for 10 years, really, to try and work that out. And I thought it was just me. So the reason why I was doing that, I needed to work that out for me uh, to navigate all of that. So what next for me? I mean, we've launched the book in uh, Sydney uh, this week. And thank you for coming. It was a great launch. Then we go on to Singapore. So I'm into Singapore in July. Again, launching it with a lot of my great colleagues that I was working with in Asia. So that's part of that journey too. And getting back to my old team who I've promised them all a book. Uh, so I'm going back there to do it there. And then in the UK, 
Uh, we'll be launching the book there uh, coming up in September, October. And then there's probably going to be a, a US leg as well with a lot of colleagues there too. So so really it will be around the, the book. Um, and Think Plan Live, I've realized again at my core is, is this passion for life design. So linked to the book, there's workshops coming up. So I'm doing workshops with, with Syntegrate. Uh, women in leadership programs. I've also got a partnership with and co-founder of Team Women Australia. So we're running a an Unleash program for Team Women Australia in, on the 26th of August here. Um, and then linked to that one-on-one coaching as well. So I still have a real passion for one-on-one coaching. So really intensive life design. So my goal with the book is, and this is part of my make a difference goal coming out of the corporate world, was if I truly can design a best life tool that for 30 bucks could help people sort their life out, I'd be really proud of myself and proud that that had that impact. So I've tried to load as much as I can into the book uh, to enable many people and make that accessible for many people so they can navigate that journey. Um, So the intent to supplement that is there will be the launch of a portal that enables you to do it. So on Syntegrate, there'll be a life design portal with webinars that go with it. So I can envisage people kind of using the book and then supplementing that with other webinars to kind of check in with other people. Uh, Because I find many people, even as they go through that journey, they don't want to go through it alone. So even if you're reading a book, you still want to share that journey with other people, be that in a workshop, uh, be that one-on-one. That's part of that journey so really it's a real focus on life design in many forms Um, also a number of speaking and facilitation roles in that area so anything life design in some region (laughs) that's my real passion (laughs) and although Syntegrate was set up as a business that's focused on life design and leadership I've realized the foundation of all of it is is life design because the people who know who they authentically are then honestly, they do become great leaders and then they do have a greater awareness about the, the world around them and create shared value in public-private partnerships, which are other parts of my business with Syntegrate. But the bit that really matters if you don't spend that time on yourself, on life design, those other things really don't come. Um, so that's really my passion. Mm, oh, I love it. Now, Jill, what would you say would be, for anyone thinking about life design or best life design, what are the top three tips for success? Top three tips for success. I think um, the top one is really when, understand what makes you you. <laughs> that might sound a strange one, but going back to this life fingerprint, if you understand what you really want, so your values and your strengths and your sources of energy and your inspiration, all the things I've talked about on life design, um, you will be able to navigate both career and your personal life with success. Uh, I talk about with this life fingerprint, almost your distance from it. So if you can imagine your life fingerprint with your who, you're what, you're where, when, why, and where. Um, but then you look at the distance from that. I find many people have got a life that's quite some distance from who they really are. So again, conceptually that makes sense, that you could have some distance from that. If you And the tip for success is make the life that you lead and the career that you have as in tune with who you are as it possibly can be. Um, because then you play to your strengths, then you're picking out on, on the kind of key areas of where your gifts are and your abilities are. I think that would be kind of tip number one. Um, now linked to that, I think it's be kind to yourself in that journey. I mean, you talked about guilt there, Jane, as well, you know, so sometimes people think, well, that's, that might not be my perfect thing. You know, perhaps I should be looking at this other person or their career or, so I think as you do that, the second tip would be just give yourself the time to do that and not worry about the comparison. 
part of that. So as Waska Wilde put it, be yourself, everyone else is taken. <laughs> or Brené Brown put it, let go of who you think you should be, embrace who you are. You know, I'd really believe that is that I find that even if people can work it out, they still second guess themselves and go, yeah, but that might not be as successful. I should be more like this person. I should be more like that person. Or they look up their organization and see very different leaders to them and say, oh, they lead completely different to me. I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, and I, I would say just hold in there. If you work out who you are, then you can be that leader you want to be uh, and you can navigate it that way. But most people second guess themselves along the way. So the second one would be don't second guess yourself. Really pursue that um, with authenticity. Um, and then the third one for me is something, again, I put it in the book, but I talk about it, the love it, like it, learn from it, laugh about it, or leave it in your job. So what does that mean? So love it or like it is pretty obvious. So I love this job. I know, you know, I'm really in my zone or like it. Um, most roles ideally should be in that zone. Unfortunately, I do find that most people don't stay in that zone, but you should be. It's a reasonable expectation that you should love or like your job. Um, and I find so many people stay there regardless about, I feel I should, I've got a mortgage, I've got to do these things. You should, it is a reasonable expectation to love or like your job. So that would be that one. Learn from it is another one. So sometimes it can take roles for breadth so you can learn about it. So I think having learning as a criteria in a job is good. So that if you're learning, it will enhance your overall career plan. So you might not be loving or like it at that point. It might actually be quite hard to learn some of those things. But often when you look back on your career, you kind of go, do you know what? I learned a lot from that job or I learned a lot from that leader, even if they weren't the best leader. Or Learning is a key part of it. So have learning as a criteria. Laugh about it is like if, it, if all else fails, laugh about it because at times business goes into crisis. And I find at times people lose their authenticity. Um, I, I find at times you also get the organization kind of coming together at that point. So if you're surrounded by colleagues, you kind of go, oh, here we go again. The business is in downturn, but, you know, we're going to pull together and make this happen. There's actually quite a high degree of camaraderie and fun that can happen. It can go two ways. It can either be that or people get more challenging and, and end up kind of uh, being much tougher on themselves. So I kind of got the laugh about it model there. And I've been a few times in my career where we've had to deploy that, where people have actually come together in times of crisis. Mm. And then if all that doesn't persist, honestly, leave it. Leave it, don't put up with it. Um, because I find too many people stay in roles or with leaders or in jobs that don't make them happy for far too long. Um, and they almost become a victim of the role. So they don't leave it when they really know that they should. And then they stay there longer and then they enjoy it less. And then they do it less. They don't do such a good job. And then they start doubting themselves. There's a cycle that goes down from not loving what you do. So for me, the third tip is it is a reasonable expectation to love and like what you do. Um, and therefore, if you start to feel that you're not, change it. Don't stick there because the amount of people who stick there, and I'm sure you find the same coaching people on career, people stay where they're not happy and it actually becomes a downward spiral. Um, so that would be the, the third tip. Yeah, valuable tips, Jill. And it's so true because when, when you're in a place where you're just not happy and it's not really right for you, it just affects your self-confidence and you, it ends up that it makes every decision that you make, you keep second-guessing yourself all the time. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right with your point number two. Don't second-guess yourself. Be kind to yourself and don't make comparisons. Lead your own life. You know, I came across this this one saying um, a couple of weeks ago that I love so much. It says, a flower does not think of competing with the flower next to it. It just blooms. And and I love that so much because yeah. it's 
be you, isn't it? Now, this is just such a great conversation. I could talk to you all day, Jill. It's so <laughs> interesting. However, we need to tell people where they can find you. So tell us, where can we find you, Jill? And I will have all of this on my show notes as well. Right. Well, if you want to find out more about the book, you can find thinkplanlive.com with all the information there and you'll find it on Amazon and other places. So if the book has got you interested, go there. Uh, Syntegrate.co is the name of the business. So again, more about the business will be found on that site. And then you can find me, Jill McLaren, on LinkedIn and Facebook uh, and connect that way as well. So if anyone's kind of got a passion for life design, I'd love to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. And also, don't forget the Twitter handle, Jill. I like Oh, true. Syntegrate underscore co. <laughs> That's right. Syntegrate underscore co. Well, all of, all of these um, links will be in my show notes and janejacksoncoach.com. And I just want to say a very big thank you and congratulations, Jill. You're going to be helping so many people. You've launched a fabulous business and an amazing book. And it's been my pleasure to have been a tiny part of it and also to follow your journey. So, good luck with with the rest of the book launch tour thanks jane and i think to be fair to you you've been more than a tiny part of my journey so one thing we haven't mentioned in this interview that during my journey jane was actually my coach uh, and therefore me navigating all of where i've ended up jane's been a big part of that so thank you as well jane oh i just watched you bloom (laughs) (laughs) it's been wonderful well thank you so much jill and I reckon in about nine to 10 months time, you should come back on again and let's talk about how the journey has progressed. Sounds great. No, I'd love to do that. Okay. Thanks so much, Jill. Bye. Thank you. Bye. If you'd like to find out how coaching can help you, visit janejacksoncoach.com where not only will you be able to listen to other fascinating interviews from professionals who've made amazing career changes, you'll also be able to download some free ebooks and guides on how to manage your career effectively. You've been listening to Jane Jackson Careers. Sign up to receive regular career advice at janejacksoncoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Your Career Podcast, I invite you to check out my career success program at thecareersacademy.online. The Career Success Program is the original program that uniquely provides 24-7 on-demand career support and fortnightly live career coaching sessions to keep you on track to reach your career goals. It is the essential resource for anyone who wants to manage their career effectively, make a career change and land the job they'll love. Whether you're in exploration mode or seeking a new career direction and need help to make it a reality, the Career Success Program is for you. Not only do you get access to my step-by-step roadmap to navigate your career crossroads, my extensive training library and exclusive members-only discounts and tools, you'll also become part of my supportive community of professionals who will help you with feedback, encouragement and advice. All this and more makes the Career Success Program the number one place to be for anyone looking to start, manage and grow their career. Check it out and join me at thecareersacademy.online.